Hello. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hello, I'm Catherine de Volder. This is Thinking Out Loud, conversations with leading philosophers from around the world on topics that concern us all. This is a special edition on ethical questions raised by the corona pandemic. In this video, I talk to philosopher Peter Singer about the causes of the pandemic and what ought to be done to prevent future pandemics. So, um, so this time I wanted to talk about the causes of the pandemic. So there are quite a bit of um, conspiracy theories out there about the origins of uh, the coronavirus. So some believe it has been, uh, the virus has been manufactured to um, boycott the Chinese economy or other things that comes from people eating bat soup. But where does it really come from? Well, the, the best uh, evidence that we have is uh, that it came from what are called wet markets in the city of Wuhan, where, of course, the virus was first uh, found and became uh, widespread. A wet market is a market at which uh, consumers go up and there are live animals uh, there in the market. And then the consumers say, I want to buy that one. And the animal is taken out of the cage and slaughtered on the spot uh, and then handed over to the, to the consumer. And as well as there being just these sort of wet markets for chickens and uh, other domestic uh, animals, of which there are in a number of places. Um, in Wuhan, there was also a wildlife wet market. So there were uh, wild animals that were on sale that, that uh, were at, or eaten in China, um, particularly uh, the pangolins or, or scaly anteaters um, were there. They're considered a delicacy. And it's believed that uh, the virus was transmitted to humans through eating pangolins. You've argued in a recent article um, that, we, that a good thing to do would be to ban these wet markets to, to help prevent spread of similar viruses in the future. Is that correct? That's right. Um, and let me acknowledge my, my co-author. This was written with Paolo Cavalieri, um, an Italian uh, um, thinker about animals who, with whom uh, many years ago I uh, co-edited the book, The Great Ape Project. So yes, we wrote this uh, uh, column op-ed, which we published in Project Syndicate, who syndicated it to many different newspapers. So people have seen it in a number of different newspapers around the world. It is calling for a ban on wet markets in general as being particularly likely to spread uh, viruses. Uh, but the, obviously the case is strongest for wildlife wet markets. And the Chinese authorities have in fact reacted to the coronavirus by prohibiting uh, wild animal uh, markets, uh, live wild animal markets. Uh, how well this will be enforced or stuck with after the crisis is hard to say because there was a similar prohibition after the SARS epidemic, which mm -hmm. is also believed to have come to humans from uh, eating wild animals. Uh, and that ban didn't last, I think, very much longer after the SARS was over. So that's part of the danger that there may be a ban that, that doesn't stick. Um, but uh, we would like to see this taken up more broadly, not just left to individual governments, but the, for the World Health Organization to get onto this and say this is a, a general danger to the world um, and to put uh, whatever pressure they can on governments everywhere to prohibit these uh, wet markets. Some important cultural and economic values may, be, may get lost when, when these markets are banned. So how should we take these considerations into account? I mean, well, um, I think that they're clearly outweighed here by the public health consequences. Um, and 
you know, we, we don't respect everything that, that cultures do. Um, obviously, we've had campaigns against uh, female genital mutilation, um, even though cultures uh, may practice them. And I think this is something too, where the, the consequences for everyone in the world are so serious that even if it is part of people's culture to eat particular animals, and even if there are some people who make a living from capturing these animals or selling these animals, uh, it's, a, it's a fairly small industry. And I think it's pretty clear that it is, uh, as I say, decisively outweighed by the benefit to humans. And, and I should say, obviously, there's a great benefit to the animals themselves, to the wildlife, because um, these are uh, horrible conditions in which the animals are captured and kept caged uh, before finally being slaughtered. And obviously, they're not slaughtered in a uh, way that uses any kind of um, stunning or anything of that sort. Do you think banning wet markets is sufficient? I mean, what about factory farming, for example? I mean, does factory farming also contribute to spread of infectious disease? Yes, undoubtedly it does. Uh, that seems, as I said, not to have been the case with coronavirus, but it is an ever-present risk of new viruses developing and forming pandemics. And in fact, that's clearly happened in the past. The uh, swine flu epidemic uh, of 2009 um, uh, is believed to have originated in an American factory farm. Uh, and, and the reason this happens is Factory farms concentrate very large numbers of animals very close together, um, and the crowding and stress is likely to weaken their immune systems. So uh, viruses can get hold and they can mutate very quickly, um, and then they can uh, emerge and be very dangerous to humans. People often don't realize how serious the swine uh, flu epidemic uh, uh, was. Um, because it mostly wasn't Western people in contrast to coronavirus, which is causing this uh, enormous panic because it is affecting people in uh, Europe and North America and here in Australia. Um, but so far it's killed, I think, what is it? Was it uh, 30,000 people? Um, you know, mm -hmm. that's bad. But according to the Center for Disease Control, the, the, uh, the swine flu epidemic uh, killed somewhere in the range of between 150 to 575,000 people. So that's a good example of, of how dangerous factory farming is uh, for human health. If we think that a ban on wet markets is justified, even if that comes with a, a major economic cost, I mean, if we want to be consistent, should we also ban or severely restrict factory farms for the same reason? I think there's a very strong case for saying that we should. Uh, and that is partly due to the pandemics, partly due to the uh, environmental uh, damage that they do, because by concentrating so many animals, they obviously also concentrate the manure and waste of those animals. Uh, so they cause uh, pollution of uh, rivers and streams in the area very often. They cause air pollution for neighbors. They're also wasteful of overall food production because we end up feeding much more uh, food value, whether you talk about it in terms of calories or in terms of protein, there's always more that goes into the animals than actually comes out of the animals. Uh, there are good reasons for saying that, yes, we, we should ban factory farming. Uh, politically, that's going to be far more difficult, of course, than, than banning wet markets, which are, don't have anything like the clout of factory farming. Uh, but there is a public move away from it where uh, in, in Europe, there have been restrictions on it. Um, there are a lot more people looking for 
uh, organic and ecologically mm -hmm. produced foods. And in the United States, whenever people have been given a chance to vote at, uh, in states that have citizen-initiated referenda, they voted uh, against standard practices of factory farms, um, such as you know, the, the degree of confinement of, of animals in those farms. Factory farms have this negative impact on the world. And on the one hand, they have this immediate impact on animal welfare and maybe on, on humans through spread of infectious disease. And then there is the slower negative impact that you mentioned on climate change. Is the slower impact, I mean, should we, give this a different weight? Is this morally less relevant? Or is, how should we look at these two no, different I think kinds we should, of impact? We, I think we should certainly be concerned about the future. Um, I don't think we should discount it. Um, but I suppose if you're really objecting to factory farms in terms of their climate impact, you would have to differentiate between different species. And in fact, it would be the uh, big uh, cattle uh, production feedlots, which are very intensive, but confine animals less than say chickens or pigs are confined. Uh, and they, they are the worst because the ruminant animals produce the most methane, which is a very potent greenhouse gas. Um, and then pigs would be next and chicken would be after that. Whereas from the point of view of animal welfare, um, as well as uh, some of the environmental, local environmental pollution um, and the production of pandemics, uh, it's, it's the pigs and chickens which are mm. the worst. So, uh, you know, it, it It goes in different ways. Uh, as I said, I think it's going to be very difficult to uh, get some governments, the United States government, for example, to prohibit uh, all uh, factory farming. But I'm hopeful that the development of uh, alternative products, whether plant-based meat-like products or uh, what's now being called cellular agriculture, uh, growing meat at the cellular level, cultured meat, as it's sometimes also called, um, if that can produce products that are very similar to the products of factory farms and are economically competitive, um, that might be, a, a, in the longer run, a, a way of stopping this threat to human health and to animal welfare. In general, the source of the, epidem the pandemic sorry, has received relatively little attention. Do you, do you have any idea why that is? I mean, suppose that it was actually a, a person killing all the people that have so far died from the COVID-19 epidemic. I mean, people would be outraged and they would want to do something about it. But now, I mean, people don't seem all that interested in looking at the sources of the problem. Yeah, you're quite right. Um, they're not. And that's because they're worried about controlling the pandemic. They're worried mm -hmm. about themselves and their loved ones getting uh, the disease. Um, and, uh, about hospitals being overwhelmed by it and uh, whatever its origin is not going to s prevent that happening. Right? Mm -hmm. the, the way to prevent that happening is to stop it spreading. Uh, and that's what people are focusing on right now. Um, I think that perhaps when that's over, when the immediate anxiety of, uh, you know, is this going, is everybody going to get this? How many people are going to die from it? Uh, when that anxiety is over, then I hope that people will sit down and take a cool look at how did this happen in the first place mm -hmm. and what can we do to, I would like to say, make sure it never happens again, but I don't think that's possible. So realistic, what I can say, people could say, what can we do to minimize the chances that this will ever happen again? And clearly one of the things that will do that 
is to prohibit wet markets. And so do you think that actually this pandemic received, is receiving too much attention compared to other diseases that also have a major impact? So I'm thinking of tuberculosis or malaria or conditions caused by worms. I mean, could we use this pandemic to raise the profile of public health threats more generally? I, I would, be, would be good if we could. Um, but again, what's happening is that we have a disease that is affecting affluent people um, and they're worried about it. They're panicking about it. And uh, malaria, say tuberculosis by and large, um, uh, those are not threats to affluent people. So it's not going to be easy to, to raise their profile. It's, it was exactly the same with uh, Ebola. When Ebola was confined to Africa, there was very little attention paid to it. Once uh, a couple of cases got to the United States or uh, Europe, then uh, suddenly it was all in the headlines and a lot of research went into finding treatments and finding a vaccine for it. Uh, so um, I think... I, I think we do need to keep making that comparison. We do need to say, look, you know, far more people are dying because of uh, malaria and TB and other preventable conditions uh, in low-income countries. Uh, and if we're putting so much effort into trying to save lives in our country uh, and, and you know, causing very serious consequences in terms of uh, the economy slowing down, people becoming, becoming unemployed, um, eventually that will affect our capacity to um, develop new hospitals and to provide good healthcare services to everyone. So if, if we're prepared to run those costs to save lives, um, then what about the fact that we can save lives so much more cheaply in low-income countries? Are we really prepared to say that they don't count because they're not like us, basically? They're not, they're not uh, white people, or they're not uh, affluent people, whatever, whatever it is that we use to say, to draw that line between us and them. Do you think that the world will be a different place when this pandemic is over or will we soon forget and just make the same mistakes all over again? I hope the world will be a different place. It certainly needs to be a different place. Um, there are you know, several things that we could have done better. Um, obviously, preparedness for pandemics is, is, is one thing, apart from what we've been talking about, particularly in the United States now. Um, yeah. It's very clear that they were not at all prepared. The New York Times has a story about how there was a, supposed to be, a, a, there was a federal contract let to produce uh, a reserve supply of ventilators that was started 13 years ago, um, which never happened. Not a single ventilator was produced. So, yeah. you know, you, you would hope that people will investigate that and make sure that incompetence doesn't happen again. Uh, and of course, as I say, you would hope that people search the origins for pandemics and try everything they can to minimize pandemics happening again, whether they originate from wildlife or from uh, domesticated factory farmed animals. Thanks so much, Peter. That was very informative as usual. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Catherine. If you liked this video, don't forget to subscribe to the Practical Ethics channel and the Thinking Out Loud Facebook page.